Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Hi, I'm Tanya Oliveira. I work for Transparency Entertainment Group. I focus on World X USA neighboring rights on the performer side and rights holder side. Hi, welcome back to Money in the Air. This is the Neighboring Rights Podcast brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. And tonight we're going to discuss more questions from artists. Today I have with me the artist and rights management and recovery guy, Errol Henry. First, tell the people your background a little bit and what okay. you do now. So I've been a musician my entire life. I don't think I chose music. I'm pretty certain it chose me. As a child, I heard it, understood it, and my thing was I want to go to there. Despite my parents wanting to kill me for uh, passing <laughs> up academia, my father went to his grave unhappy that I didn't become a lawyer because he felt I should be doing that. But music was my thing. So I turned down scholarship to go to school music when I was 11. I didn't want to do the whole be trained thing. So, so music's been my pretty much my, my, my whole life. It's been a tremendous gift to me. My life makes sense through the prison of music. So I came to the industry with my own label. Mm. As you get better, your label develops traction. The big labels come calling. I produced Bobby Womack, the legend, the sole legend. I never had one top 40 hit record, a track called Back For More. I did the bulk of Lulu's comeback album, Independence. I produced the Jones Girls. I produced Jackie Graham. I produced Chris Ballin, The Affair. So I mean, I've had a very successful career as a producer. How many mm. of these albums are you recovering your neighboring rights on? I actually haven't the faintest idea. Right. And um, that's why we're here yeah, today. I have the faintest idea. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I've been busy doing the work I've been doing. And, and just in the time we were waiting for these guys to come to come in, I was sitting they're thinking quite a lot of what this is about I actually haven't had time right. to look into right. you know, I'm registered with PPL I've got stuff in PPL but now I'm thinking about it because I'm a multi musician player yeah. I'm, I'm on a lot of recordings That's and right. I may not be on some of those recordings <laughs> so I'm going to have to go and have a look at that I have some sense of neighbouring rights that kind of I'm with PPL, so I get the gist of it. But one of the questions I want to know is, you know, I know radio pay rights, but who else pays musicians neighbouring rights? That's excellent. Radio does pay. Radio is a very high-paying source of income. So does terrestrial TV. So if your song is included on a television show and it's, you know, broadcast on terrestrial TV, then there will be a royalty, a PPL royalty due to you. Also from public performance licences, which basically means business premises, venues, they play music recorded music so hairdressers gyms doctor surgeries bars nightclubs they all pay an annual fee to ppl and prs but we're going to leave prs aside that's the three main income streams in spain uh, you can get money from streaming recently in hungary you can also get money from streaming but streaming is slow moving and we hope that ppl will catch up in the near future and start to pay streaming because that would make a big difference here in the u.s we do not recognize terrestrial broadcast performance for sound recordings. So all of which that Tanya just mentioned is not recognized here. So we have non-interactive digital performance, which means satellite radio, Pandora, but we don't pay out on, say, for instance, if the radio station plays a sound recording, we're not going to collect and pay out on that. It's a huge issue here in the U.S., but non-interactive digital performance actually is a billion-dollar industry 
annually just in the US. That is the primary source of performance rights here. And by non-interactive, you mean that you don't choose the song like you do on other streaming platforms. That's correct. And just to point out quickly that everything Tanya mentioned is completely spot on. You can get great money from plays in, in shops and pubs and clubs and so on, but you're only going to get that money if you are claimed on a recording. So that is what you've got to start looking at, is make sure you're claimed on absolutely every recording. Because a recording that you've contributed on can be played and played and played. If you're not claimed on it, you won't see anything. Post-production label management, in recovering my own rights from other companies, I found myself having to do that for other artists. Yeah. And I represent more than 60 artists with a variety of PPL, if you like, type claims. And when we do their deep dives, we discover a number of them weren't even aware they were due PPL. Yeah. Others have tried to get PPL and the labels concerned wouldn't cooperate to get the information. What can someone in that situation do when they realise they're owed the money but the labels won't cooperate with getting them registered. What, what, what can musicians who discover later do about that? That's not uncommon. We work with quite a few artists in, in exactly the same situation that are not aware of PPL or maybe signed up to it many, many years ago, but weren't really sure what they were signing up to. So they remember and just thought, you know, they would be claimed and had no idea that really the responsibility was with them, unless they were representative, the responsibility is with the performer to ensure that they are claimed and claimed correctly on everything. If you're looking to work back through all your catalogue and claim on the majority of recordings that you haven't been claimed on, start with a list. I always say start with a list and write down absolutely everything you've worked on. Source it out on PPL and make the claim. Now, no one can take away the right for you to claim your contribution on a recording, but you may be required to provide evidence to the collection society such as PPL if it's a recording of substantial value is kind of the tendency from PPL it's their right it's their share they've earned it they are due that money so they can make the claim no one can stop them making the claim it's when it comes down to the evidence that they may hit a problem and I'm sure we've all experienced the frustration of trying to source evidence now thankfully you know the internet provides a vast amount of evidence that we can all source from, from sites like Discogs, artwork. You can often find CD covers and so on that actually list recordings or articles that are quite often accepted. There's certain things that PPL will accept and certain things that they won't. And they do detail that quite uh, in depth on their, on their website. But my suggestion would be make the claim first of all and then provide the evidence afterwards. By make the claim, she means once you go into PPL, once you remember, mm -hmm. you click on a title, mm -hmm. there's a button that says claim. Okay. It's as easy as that. If the rights holder, the label has registered the recordings. And if they haven't? If they haven't, there's nothing to claim and you're stuffed. You can't okay. get paid. Okay. Unless you own the recording yourself, then you're the rights holder and you have to go in on the rights holder mm -hmm. side and mm -hmm. register it first. So in my instance, where I represent a lot of clients who are in Jamaica, elderly, some not even have access to the internet, they weren't aware that they were not represented on the recordings because the producers put their name down as the only performer. What can be done in those instances easily to help those people? Get the list, mm -hmm. make the claim on their behalf or have a rep do mm -hmm. it, make all the claims. 
And then when it comes down to evidence, go to the original producer and say, sign this letter. Okay. And does it matter that they don't live here in terms of people? No. Because I'm going to say, but I'm, I'm in Jamaica. And I'm like, I don't think that matters. So it, it doesn't matter where they currently reside. Correct. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you reside. Mm. As long as you are a PPL member or so the PPL equivalent in Jamaica is called JAMS. So maybe mm-hmm. you'd like to join direct with JAMS, but PPL has a relationship with them. So you can join PPL, ask them to collect for you in Jamaica, which sounds quite convoluted. But that's what we explain when we're saying you give PPL an international mandate, have these reciprocal deals in place with their sister society. And that was good advice from Stacey, exactly that. And if you own a bunch of masters, if you haven't already, you should definitely create your own rights account at PPL, which is free to do so. And then you can just get stuck in with registering all your ISRCs, select the box Jamaica so that PPL registers it over there, collects there, especially if you've got big audiences and airplay there. Yeah, I mean, my my own labels have been registered with PPL from the get-go. And I am also, as a musician... Yes. My concern really is the people I'm discovering now in their 70s and 80s didn't know they were June PPL. Yes. And it's really just trying to unravel the, the, the problem from their perspective. If the label has registered the recording itself, even without mentioning them, mm-hmm. if they go and claim it today, mm-hmm. PPL will go back six years for them. A lot of my, especially my older elderly clients, have discovered this thing called VPL. And they're saying, well, how is VPL different from PPL? And why am I not getting it? I'm like, I don't know. I'll ask Stacey when I see it. So <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I'm happy to answer that. So VPL is an associated company to PPL. It's video performance as opposed to the audio side of things. So it's registering videos. Rights holders do collect royalties for videos. Performers at this present time do not qualify, unfortunately. So the rights holder will get the 100% of any world team um, coming in, performers, contributors. And can, can someone explain to her why? Because this is a bone of contention for a client right now. He's had more than 10 million views in different places. The label have collected, in fact, over a million pounds in VPL and paid none to the artist. Is there a reason why artists don't get any other performance for what is clearly a performance? I don't, actually don't understand the reasoning behind it. Because under a normal recording agreement, it will give you the royalty rate for videos okay. and any commercial use of a video, which this clearly is okay so if they want to argue that point we can take that one to court all right so the question i want to ask about vpl now is when is a video not a video (laughs) so so yes i know the tv stations pay their share but based on the fact that youtube is consuming vast amounts of what was tv time people don't watch television anymore they watch youtube you can't get on youtube unless what you're presenting is a video so if it, in fact if it's a straight audio like one you have to turn the audio into a video even if it's just a picture they qualify it as a video why don't they pay vpl ppl do not pay vpl royalties on youtube which is a bone of contention and we bring it up every year they don't have a licensing deal in place with them and they kind of push back and say oh it's between the labels and youtube to deal with royalties and collect royalties but it is frustrating because everything is digital now and a lot of our clients you know they have millions and millions of views on youtube and it's like this should be monetizing neighboring rights here in the us at least it boils down to whether or not it's considered to be interactive or non-interactive streaming and it kind of goes further is it audio or is it audio visual but it really is the non-interactive versus interactive component on youtube for example you can choose the song video whatever it is whenever you want. So that disqualifies it from being a broadcast performance. And because it disqualifies that, then it's negotiated 
via the licensing agreements with the labels as sales would be as would anything else. That money, instead of it being neighboring rights and sales streaming, it's going to be just sales and streaming and the labels are going to receive that. It's the power of the lobby. It's whoever has the leverage to negotiate the deal in their better favor. And right now it's not the performer in the video. What about MTV if they still played videos? Still with MTV and if they play videos, even if it's broadcast, because if there's an audiovisual component to it, it's not going to be qualifying for sound exchanges collections. Sound exchange was established in the late mid to late nineties and it had a narrow scope specifically to collect on satellite radio from Pandora specifically was for audio only. So audiovisual is not part of that whole thing. Okay. What if I started a, an internet channel, which only showed music videos and the audience couldn't choose them. So if it was just a rolling loop of whatever videos I programmed. Outside of the US, it would. Yes, yes. So okay. yeah, like MTV on terrestrial television and other music channels. I mean, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there were so many of those crying and the hits and so much money, so much VPL. And each year VPL income just kind of nosedives, which is why we really think they should consider YouTube. But as Andrew was saying, it's it's um it is totally interactive and it's it's just a weird grey area. But yeah. I, I feel like it'll change. It has to. People are putting pressure on them. They do say watch this space. They don't rule it out in the future. So it's something that may well come in, but just at present it's not. How do performers who don't know that they're GPPL find out that they're GPPL? Ignorance clearly is not bliss. What can we do? <laughs> to help people who don't know to find out what they don't know. Because you'd be amazed how many musicians actually don't know. They have no idea. That's one of the reasons why IFR was set up, to actually help communicate, educate, spread the word, and tell as many, many artists and musicians and producers as possible that there may well be money out there for them. We're limited. There's only a few of us. And the more of us that there are, the more of us that can spread the word. Aside from that, it's word of mouth. Really, I guess it's it's other musicians passing on to their fellow musicians and looking out for each other at the end of the day is is really all that I can say. It's frustrating and it's sad, you know, when they're putting all their hard work and their effort into the, into that particular area of the industry and they're not receiving all the income that's due to them. It's great that we can go back six years in PPL. Each society differs. They've all got their own rules and regulations for how far back you can go. I think the average is about three. Some are one, some are three, some are six, some a couple, maybe 10. But on the, on the majority, you know, sort of go with three to six which is amazing when you've got an artist that has contributed on so many different recordings, so many different versions, so many different remasters to actually work through them all and find this incredibly long list and put the claims in for them. Uh, it takes time for the income to come through, but it is so worthwhile at the end of the day. I've got a client who's been involved in label sales, not in terms of wanting to be, but the, the label they were signed to got sold and got sold and got sold. The current owner has failed to register 1,100 songs belonging to the previous owner. What can my client do? Well, question first, mm -hmm. did any of the previous owners register the recordings? Yes. So your client can go in and claim under those old ISRC numbers. Okay. So it doesn't matter which label's collecting now. No, it doesn't. Okay. And they, the new label probably will not issue new ISRCs unless they remaster. Okay. So it doesn't matter who the label is. 
as long as the performers, because he thought that because the label he was with got bought, I think, three times, unless he was on the current registrations, he wouldn't get anything. You're saying that as long as he goes in and puts his name on the titles he's linked to, yes. they will pay him. Yes, my guess is that each successive label did not reissue the ISRC numbers so that it just carried through with a new owner's name. That hasn't been raised before in these podcasts, and it's, um, I can understand well, how... Yeah, that's excellent. I really appreciate that. I, I can imagine a lot of musicians are thinking the same, like sat there at the database, mm-hmm. and they're thinking, oh, that's a different label. You know, 30 years ago it was Virgin, and now it's... Mm-hmm. Um, Polygram or Universal or whoever, yeah. Thank yeah. you. And they'll be thinking, oh, I didn't qualify for this. I'm not allowed to do this. But yeah, if they were definitely on that track, then yeah, they can submit the claim. And if it's high earning, PPL will have a, send you an automated email. Please send evidence. Just go to your Discord page and, you know, submit that. And that's a really good point. I have a large client base of my own and I connect with other people that have large client bases of their own until I met Stacy. But until she told me about this body that is helping people, I didn't know it existed. So what are you guys doing to let people know that you're there for them because they don't know and maybe they could help spread the word and you know maybe they can i mean how you guys funded how you getting money how are you doing your job and how can other people help you to do your job better because we need more people like you we are completely self-funded through the membership there are dues annual dues which start at 50 pounds if you're a sole trader mm-hmm. um, and it's based on the number of clients that you have that you represent mm-hmm. and we have an educational program that you can buy for your university or college okay we do seminars and we will come to well right now by zoom to your law firm to your record label to your indie publishing company and teach your staff we do a lot of webinars where we get sponsored Mm -hmm. by other corporates to do it for a specific audience like the music managers forum Mm -hmm. and music biz and we've just done one the other day in china for china imx okay we've been around the world we have some coming up in miami nashville and i think texas but we need more sponsorship i mean we definitely need corporate sponsorship we everybody has a day job Mm -hmm. everybody's doing it in their spare time for free we need an administrator so we're working we're trying to grow our U.S. sister company is educational and a registered charity. Okay. So it can have tax-deductible donations through our fiscal sponsor. So if a corporation like mine that mm-hmm. does rights recovery mm-hmm. are successful in our endeavours and we say we'd like to help. If I want to say, well, look, I like what you're doing. How do I help you fiscally or just to, to give you money? I mean, how does it work? You write a check to Fractured Atlas. Okay. Our fiscal sponsor is in the U.S. Okay. And they want checks. Okay. So that's how we do it. If you wanted just to sponsor a seminar or webinar here in the UK, then you would uh, like take out banner space cost? on our website. What does that cost? Someone wants to sponsor a, a webinar. What do they? What, how much do they cost them to do that? If you go to www.iafar.co.uk, uh-huh. there is a term sheet for advertising. And so we'll have your logo on any materials for that webinar. You can have a banner or a skyscraper on the actual webpage itself. There is a rates list. So if there are artists, for instance, that I represent who... As a result of the work you do, get a bump in their PPL. Mm-hmm. I encourage them that if you have Pay good back. done to you, do yeah. good. This is yeah. how they would do that. Because I think, exactly I think, I think it's quite it. important yeah. that, that the help is helped. The Thank reason why you. the industry is so such a dangerous place is that there isn't enough help. And if we don't help the help, no one has any help. And also introduce us. Mm. 
yeah. two entities or groups of people that would benefit from so having who, who, us talk who to need, them. Who needs to meet you? Tell me how. Who where doesn't I'm, know about us? Well, that's everybody. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got <laughs> a range. I deal with publishers, I deal with labels, I deal with artists, I deal with management. I deal with everybody. My job requires me to deal with everybody. How can I help you to meet the people you don't meet now? What can I practically do to accelerate the connection? I mean, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. There's actually a conference being prepared for, for next year. And it was a principally about getting the Jamaican artists who don't even realise their own money for their mm -hmm. recordings. But if we could add a session or a day mm -hmm. yeah. to that conference just about uh, neighbouring rights, then if we're going to be teaching people, let's teach them everything. The two main prongs for us are education and advocacy. Okay. There are things that we have to change in legislation and in CMOs mm -hmm. across the world. Mm -hmm. And we help. Okay. All we do is help them collect more money to give to more artists. Mm -hmm. And where are you doing that education? Some, some kid is 14, thinks wants to be a rock star. When do you start telling them about neighbouring rights and, and all that stuff? When does, he, when does he learn that? Or she learn that? We are going to be reaching out to the universities and the schools, the Brit School, for example, BIMS. We're literally collating a list of all music schools, music colleges and universities where people study the music industry courses to find out what they currently learn, what they don't learn and what they would like to learn and what we feel we could contribute to ensure that they learn what we think would be useful to them, such as uh, neighbouring rights. And that's just not only in the UK, but that would be around the world. We're collating a list and literally asking people to send us suggestions for schools, universities and colleges and any connections that they have. So if there's any schools, universities or colleges listening to this now, would actually like to get in contact with us, would like to appear on a podcast, a future podcast, please do let us know. We'd love to have you on and we'd love to discuss your course with you and find out how we can connect with each other and how we can help each other, basically. Thank you so much for coming today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I've actually learned a lot and I now have some things to go and talk to clients about. Well, if you want to join IFR... <laughs> Just go to www.iafar.co.uk and click that join now button. We would love to have you. And if you have questions, email us. We're going to answer them. See you next week. Thanks for coming.